0: all right dan kennedy welcome to the podcast mate how you doing
1: i'm doing well thanks mate uh appreciate you having me on i'm looking forward to the chat today
0: yeah mate oh, uh no worries um listen we met about 18 months ago you're a buddy of michael klims and uh we did some did some training together in la a while back and uh, and i found out you you have your own podcast the the fitness and lifestyle podcast which is highly successful and, and very well followed and has uh, great information so if anyone wants to jump onto an awesome podcast you need to attach to that one um the one you're running but so what was the what was the premise behind it why did you get into that
1: yeah look I I, it's been about three years now so before I first started it I um I'd start I just started listening to podcasts myself there was a handful of guys I was listening to I think it was um Lewis Howes maybe Grant Cardone and I think I just started to listen to um Gary Vaynerchuk and um and I remember thinking to myself, like, there's not really any health and fitness podcasts in Australia that, um, that I knew of, or especially that none that were really doing well. Um, and so I just kind of had the idea of starting a show and, you know, YouTube was pretty saturated, which it still is. And Instagram was already pretty, pretty saturated as well. So I thought I'd love to be able to help people um, on a different platform where no one else is. So I, I kind of procrastinated, procrastinated for a while. And then, um, I was actually listening to an episode one day, um, of, I think it might have been Grant's podcast. And he, he said something along the lines of like, why wait till tomorrow to do something you can do today. So like that day I, I went onto this blog, um, on how to start a podcast. Mm. And, um, by the end of the day I had gone and bought a mic and recorded my first few episodes and submitted it to iTunes. And then since then I haven't missed a week. So it's been, yeah, it's been about three years and we're up to about 250 or so episodes. So, mm. so yeah, it's been fun,
0: man. I love it. Yeah. You got some real good information on there for just uh, the average person and also the high level athlete, you know, there's so much quality stuff and, and you're just straight to the point direct and I love it. And it's kind of why I wanted to bring you on here today. You had a podcast that came out just last week or this week um, talking about quality over quantity and it's something that swimmers and swim coaches um, argue over and fight over and, and have struggled with for many years, you know, sw- mm. swimmers and, and swim coaches and, and many swimmers will know this. We've been doing things the same way for uh, 40 years, you know, like I can't yeah. uh, going back as long as I can remember. We've been doing, you know, 10 or 11 swim sessions a week. We've been doing so yep. many K's and, and this is the formula that everybody sticks to. And, and there's not, everybody's afraid to kind of break away from it. Um, so I'm just intrigued to you know, get an outsider's point of view, somebody who's an expert in the field as well, of like, why why has quantity been successful, and but why are we moving away from it?
1: It's a really good question, and and this is something that I I think about a lot, and I talk to it a lot, um, talk about it a lot. Sorry, with with athletes, particularly over here in Australia, with with Aussie rules athletes, the so AFL footballers, mm. um, and and those that are. Um, because let's be honest most sports as you have just mentioned are in that same mindset of more is better Mm. you know the harder you work um the you know the luckier you are um and whoever works the hardest will get the best result and i think that's where this whole kind of concept came from um you know early days i would assume you know when people are just starting to get to the top of the game they're probably looking at athletes that are that are at the top of the game whether it be with swimming whether it be with basketball track and field whatever it is and And they're probably doing a lot of work. So they're putting in the hours, they're obsessed with mastering their craft. So others look at that and go, all right, well, if I want to be that successful, I need to do what they're doing. So if they're training every day, if they're training twice a day, I need to do that too. And that's how I'll be successful. Now I think for a lot of coaches out there that are still coaching that same principle, it's just an old school approach that more is better and that the harder you work, the better your results are going to be. And you know, whoever puts in the most work is going to get the best results. But um, as you and I both know, I, and I'm hopefully a lot more people are starting to understand as well. It's just not the case. And, um, you know, to an extent, yes, you do have to put in a lot more work than the average person to be a master of your craft and to be at the top of your game in whatever your industry or whatever your sport is. But in saying that there comes a point in time where we reach um, diminishing returns uh, physically mm. and mentally which i think you know and the mental side of things you know regardless of um, talking about physically the mental side of things can be very taxing and i think you see it a lot particularly with individual sport athletes such as swimming mm. that um, you tend to reach a point where you've just you just burnt yourself out uh, uh, mentally mm. from doing the same thing over and over again and always thinking that more is better and I mean, I don't know if you've kind of experienced the same feeling, but me coming from um, an athletic background as well, and even now with work, like, it's hard sometimes to not get stuck in the mindset of, you know, those days where you're having a a rest day or where you're not doing as much training, you start to sit there and if you think about it too much, you think to yourself, like, I should be doing more or Mm. I'm not working hard enough or I feel lazy because I'm not putting in the work. But as you touched on before with my episode this week, I, I really... I was thinking about it a lot. I think it might've been after you sent me a message the other day. It was about, uh, you know, so many people are focused on quant- uh, quantity over quality. Mm. And I see it a lot with the athletes I work with, but also just gen pop when it comes to losing body fat or comes to getting in shape. Um, people go from doing nothing or maybe doing a little bit to just overdoing it in all areas, whether it be training, you know, under eating all, all different types of stuff to the point where, the mindset is more is better. And from my experience and, and from what I've seen um, in the industry and, and with most athletes, it's just not the case. And luckily now we're getting more and more research and evidence come out to show that that is that you and I are on, on the right path in terms of starting to look at quality over quantity. And um, yeah, the more we can talk about that, the better, because there's just so much to to learn about it. And um, yeah, I know myself, like when I first started to kind of trust in the process, it's hard to get your head around, especially if you've come from a background of just doing more and more and more and more and more thinking that the harder you work, the better your results are going to be. For someone to then say to you like, hey, we actually need to do less and like far less, but focus on quality over quantity. It's hard to get your head around initially, but if you're willing to stick it out and and give it a chance, I think most people, if not everyone will be very, very surprised at how much better their results can be by, by reducing the amount they're doing, but actually increasing the quality.
0: Yeah, mate. I had some experiences when I was swimming, you know, 20, 25 years ago with coaches who would just push me and, and it was all about yardage yeah. and how far we'd swim. I would get to the point where I'd be so sick that I'd, I'd be in bed for weeks and then I'd yeah. come back and I'd be swimming faster than I was swimming the whole season you know, uh, mm-hmm. off off three weeks of rest, you know, not swimming yeah. a single stroke. I just did a podcast with Eamon Sullivan who was the former world record holder in the 50 and the yeah. 100 freestyle. And he was talking about the times where he was swimming his fastest was when he was coming off an injury, you know, where he's, yeah. he's had surgery, he's gone in and he's recovering. And he's got, he's got six weeks to prepare instead of, you know, six months where when he had the six months, he was just getting pounded with work. But when he had yeah. six weeks, he was just really focused on how he was doing things technically, getting everything right and swimming faster than he's ever swam. And you just hear so many stories like that over and over of people that, um, you know, have, have, have situations like that, you know?
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And you touched on a good point there. The time frame thing plays a big role because, Particularly, I'm going to use the example again of Aussie rules footballers, and this applies to, to swimming as well. And I know we'll touch on that later in the show, but you look at like Aussie rules, Aussie rules footballers, they go into their, their off season or their pre season with the club in, you know, it's these days, they go in with the club, say, at the end of November. Some, some of the clubs are even going back in, in October. Mm. The season doesn't start until like April, mm. like end yeah. of March, yeah. April. So they're in pre season with their club for, almost longer than the actual season. Mm. So when you think of it like that, they've like not only mentally, but like physically they've started training and mind you, the first couple of months are always the hardest. Like that's when the, the, the trainers are basically kind of just running them into the ground to see who, who's willing to work the hardest and they try and build up that base early on. But if you think about that from a physical perspective, by the time you get to the start of the season, they've already done more work than what they're going to do for the whole season before they've even got to game to round one. Mm. so physically and mentally they're burnt out whereas you know I've spoke about this with people over the years I think a far more sustainable and effective approach would be to to break the, that long off season into blocks so you know up until Christmas maybe there is no running maybe it is off legs conditioning so that you're not overdoing the legs maybe it is building up the strength that a lot of these players lack in the hamstrings and the glutes so that when we get into the season there's not as many soft tissue injuries, and then once you get to after Christmas, you put in that really high quality work for a short period of time leading into round one. So then, as the season goes on, we're actually progressing. Whereas you find now, you watch the season and, and you see you know the soft tissue injuries and whatnot. The players are a peak fitness at like the start of the year when mm-hmm. the season hasn't even started yet, and as the season goes on, they're going down. Mm-hmm. Like they they get they're seeing that diminishing returns. Not only as I've said couple of times already but not only physically but mentally as well so i mean yeah it is just such an old school old school approach and um and i i use an example the other day when i spoke to spoke to a client they were asking me about how many times they should be training per week and they said to me you know i saw the best results when uh for a very short period of time i was doing this this and this and and they're asking me if they should be training multiple times per day and, and i just honestly said like look if i said to you today, and you and I would be the same, Brett. If, if I told you tomorrow we're going to train three times for the day, mm. there is no way. I don't care how good of an athlete you are. There's no way you can tell me that every single session is going to be at the best quality, mm-hmm. particularly the first and second one. In the back of your head, you're going, all right, I've got to go in and swim x amount of laps at this intensity, but I've also got a strength session after lunch, and I've also got another swim tonight. Mm-hmm. I just don't see how, how you're getting the best quality out of that. Whereas if we break that down and we say, right, we're doing this swimming session today and then maybe some strength tonight or tomorrow we're going to do half our strength in the morning and half at night. And in the middle of the day, we're going to do some mobility so that the following day we can put in max effort in the pool. This needs to be a, a bit more thought put to, to how this programming's done, and and as hard as it can be. And, you know, I find, I don't know what your opinion is on this, but I look at a lot of team sports now and I just think to myself, like, there's just too much pressure on, their strength and conditioning coach or the the performance coach to take a different approach to everyone else in the whole entire league or the whole mm. entire sport yeah. because they're so worried about what everyone else is going to say or what everyone else's opinion is mm. that the pressure is there that if they don't, if it doesn't get results straight away, they'll just get canned. Yeah, so, I mean, someone, someone's got to be willing to take that different approach, even if it does mean initially things, you know, they, they may not project upwards the whole way through.
0: Yeah. You may
1: see a bit of a plateau for a while, but, in the end of the day, particularly for sport, like swimming, it doesn't matter how quick you are, or how fit you are six months before the race. You need to be your absolute best on the day. I mean, yeah. and that's all that matters. It does. No one cares how fast you swam three weeks ago. If, if in the race you stunk it up and came last or you burnt out and before the race, you felt like you didn't have enough energy or you're a bit niggly through the shoulder or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I think the old school approach is just way outdated and there's a lot of athletes out there that could benefit from doing less, but focusing a lot more on the quality.
0: Yeah. Well, we're not, you know, in swimming, uh, as it is, we, we're, we're judged on time, right? So we're, yeah. we're trying to get faster. We're not trying to do what people did in the past. We're trying to do what nobody's done in the future. You know, we're trying to swim faster mm-hmm. than we've ever swum. And that's from a young age all the way up to to the pros, you know. So I'm of the opinion of you just can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result, you know. You've got to find new ways and creative ways and healthy ways. And what I've found, everybody I've talked to, all all the pro athletes that I've talked to, and I've talked to many, uh, including Olympic gold medalists, um, and people that are trying to make the Olympic team in this period of quarantine where they've been restricted to one workout a day or one, one effort a day, their quality has improved so much and their outlook on their training has improved so much. They actually want to go to training. They want to get better yeah. and, and what they're doing in practice is better than they've ever done before. And so it's like, yeah. It's just making sense that we're overtraining as far as I'm concerned. I put something out on my Instagram the other day that you responded to about, you know, we overtrain in swimming. And, you know, most of the people responded in a positive way, but I had a lot of people send me messages of like, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, there's always, they, they find ways to be critical. Pushback. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, exactly. That pushback. So, um, that's definitely out there. That's right?
1: exactly what, and that's exactly what I said before. Like, um, I can see why a lot of coaches or a lot of people, uh, I guess, ignorant to the fact that whatever they're doing now is not working because everybody else is doing it as well. Mm. Everybody else is doing it. So for someone just to be like, Hey, uh, I'm going to do something completely different to you guys, particularly if you're working with someone who's already at a high level. So if you get like an Olympic swimmer who Mm. has done the same thing to get to where he is now Mm. for you to then go like, I think I can make you quicker by doing something you've never done before. It takes Mm. like it takes, a big, a big yeah. amount of courage, I guess, yeah. but someone's got to do it because it, if you look at it, if you look at it properly, if you, if you kind of understand how this process works, as you've just said, like, you know, the, the quarantine example is such a good thing or the isolate, the, you know, the yep. restrictions is such a good, good example. Like mm-hmm. if I know that today I can only go outside to train for 45 minutes that 45 minutes mm. is going to be the best training that I can do. I'm going to get in the most amount of work. I'm going to make sure that I make every minute count. Mm. Whereas if you told me this morning, we're going to train for 60 minutes this morning and 60 minutes tonight, I'm not really that phased. what we get done in the first 60 minutes. And to be honest, in the second one, I may be already fatigued. Mm. Um, I'm probably mentally tired as well. It's at the end of the day, got to put in more work. So that total amount of work that you've just done in two 60 minute sessions could be equaled if not, you know, Uh, more significant done in a shorter block and less, less frequency. Um, So I think frequency plays a a big role as well. And, and as I said, diminishing returns, like, I don't know if you wanted to get into detail about that for those that may not kind of understand it, but diminishing returns is such a, it's so, it's so important when it comes, when it comes to progress, like it's not always just going to project up. It doesn't matter how hard you train, how motivated you are, how disciplined you are, how much you want to win or how much you want to get quicker. By doing the same thing, it's not going to do this. It does not happen. It rarely happens ever in yeah. anything. Yeah. So um, if you're constantly going like this, then something's got to come down like this at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a lot of people, it's at the the worst time possible. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it's it's when they need it the most when they're when it's all falling apart so what are the signs of overtraining you know overtraining's common in every in every discipline so like yeah. w- what are the signs of it i
1: mean there's a number of signs and, and it can be difficult i guess um to differentiate between whether or not you're just fatigued and you've had a big training week or a big training month whatever it is and whether or not you're actually reaching overtraining. but for me there's some really simple signs is lack of motivation, particularly if we're talking about someone who is highly motivated and disciplined mm-hmm. in, in their sport, um, not recovering anywhere near as well between sessions physically, um, you know, where they're, they're burning out a lot quicker in the pool. Like if you, if you get in the lap done, that usually would be quite easy and you're burning out nice and quick. That's a very easy sign. Um, even a decrease in appetite can be a good sign mm-hmm. of overtraining, poor sleep quality you know, like starting to have really average sleep. Um, And then the obvious ones as well, like starting to get little niggles here and there that just Mm. probably shouldn't be happening. And, and you're just finding that you feel like you kind of, you're you're running on a treadmill. You're not, you're going as hard as you can, but you're not really getting anywhere. Mm. Um, So I think the best thing, the best approach there is when you're starting to see those signs is instead of just thinking to yourself, because as we touched on before, the mentality often is with, with a high-level athlete or someone who is quiet and motivated to be the best is to not be seen as soft or not be seen as weak or, or to push through it. And, and again, just that mentality of the harder I work, the better results I'm going to get. But if you do get to the point where you feel like you're overtraining, you're far, it's, it's much more beneficial for you to take a day or two where you drop the load right down, even if, even have a complete rest day where you're doing mm. nothing, I think if you can get your head around the fact that you're not going to lose all your progress by having a day, two days, a week off training, mm. um, then you come back and then all of a sudden your performance is much better. You're a lot more motivated to train. I mean, like in the pen, like the pandemic at the moment with, with coronavirus, it's mind blowing to see how many people are absolutely pumped to go back to the gym that before would mm. whinge and complain about having to go and train
0: yeah.
1: all of a sudden, because people haven't been able to go, that it's like, I can't wait to go back. So that's just like a, another example of how, by not having too much of something the the motivation is going to stay a lot higher. And I mean, as everybody would be able to, um, you know, understand when listening to this and, um, and, uh, resonate with, so I couldn't think of the word everyone can resonate with, you know, when you don't have too much of something over and over and over again, the motivation to to do it is a lot higher. I mean, it's the same as anything. You do too much of something, you're eventually going to get sick of it. Um, and then the results will show.
0: Yeah, mate. I'm really interested in this uh, to, to finish on this topic. Um, you know, swimmers, sw- swimmers are crazy. I, I, don't, I don't understand. I never fully understood why we swim two hours in the morning. You're talking about one hour and one hour. Swimmers swim two hours in the morning and two hours at night. We tend to do that, you know, almost six days a week, which is just insane for, some, for somebody mm-hmm. that swims for may, maybe two minutes, you know, max. <laughs> I, I swam for 22 seconds. And I was swimming, you know, 20 hours a week for 22 seconds. So it just, it doesn't make mm. sense. So, but in terms of cross training these days, obviously we're, we're trying to do different things. In terms of aerobic fitness for swimming, are there things that you can do aerobically outside of the pool that will translate inside of the pool that we, we may not have to just swim up and down the pool?
1: Without a doubt, there's a couple of things I'll, I'll take from there. The first one uh, you just mentioned about the time spent in the actual pool. So there's a couple of examples there that I, their work time for their whole training session is probably around, let's say, let's say they're, they sprint for 10 to 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. So in an hour or hour and a half of their training session, they're doing, they're actually running for maybe a minute, two minutes.
0: Yeah.
1: But that's max effort. The quality, is at the highest the highest level, the quality highest level. If the quality drops, then they can't. There's no point doing it because they're not training to run a slow 100 meters. They're training mm. to run as fast as they possibly can. Yep. Outside of the track, like off the track, sorry, they're spending time in the gym, building up the muscles and the, and the movements that they need to then enhance their speed on the track. They're doing their mobility. They're making sure their nutrition's right. So when I think about swimming, it doesn't make as much sense, sense to me that why you've got... Sp- sprinter swimmers doing absurd amounts of volume and and endurance swimming to do something like you're doing endurance swimming, but you're trying to be a fast swimmer. Mm. So I'm not sure, you know, me not being um, a a swimmer myself, I'm not sure why there's such a big difference between a runner and a swimmer when you got two people trying to achieve a very similar thing, even though one's on a track and one's in the pool, but the training is just night and day. It's just Mm -hmm. completely different. And I think, again, it just comes back to the, to the, um, to the old school approach but when it comes to off legs training and conditioning i'm a big big fan of that because i mean if you're a swimmer and your technique is is sound like you have perfect you have great technique you're in the pool you're practicing you're, you're mastering your craft of swimming your aerobic capacity doesn't doesn't know whether you're in the pool like your body doesn't go like oh shit i'm in the pool now so i'm gonna breathe differently than what i do when I've just done max effort battle rope. I've just done max effort, you know, so-and-so to to get my heart rate up and to build up that galactic acid and get my body to recover quickly in short periods of time. Mm. I mean, specific to swimming, obviously for a swimmer to be out doing sprints and to be out doing long runs and stuff like that. I mean, I don't really see the benefit of that as such, but off legs conditioning or, or not even off legs conditioning, whatever conditioning outside of the pool, I think is hugely beneficial. You look at, um afl guys here and and other sports where when you've got someone who's got an injury this is a great example like i've even experienced this myself like i've had an injury back when i was playing basketball i had a um an injury where i was unable to do basically any like running at all Mm, mm. i couldn't do any running obviously on court you're doing plenty of running for that whole period of time i was doing a lot of interval work um, at a really high intensity uh, paired with some endurance stuff as well on the bike um, and then doing a lot of battle rope stuff as well. And, you know, when I came back to being able to run, like, you know, the first couple of runs to get the Ks back in the legs, you a little bit fatigued, but my tank was better than what it was before. Yeah. And because of that, um, because of that variety in my training and not just doing the same thing over and over again, my body actually was able to, to perform at a much higher rate across the board instead of just that one thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I think if you're getting in the work in the pool, your technique's good you're building up the strength in the areas that you need to build up and your mobility is good i mean i think it's really beneficial to be doing conditioning outside of the pool as long as you know the, ma- the main amount of work is still done in there um I-, I find it hugely beneficial
0: yeah man i'm with you i agree and uh look i i don't think um we have all the answers when it comes to to swimming yet and i think that's part of you know being creative and and experimenting but you know what i've found is we're just so stuck on our ways of this is the formula for swimming and we're so afraid to look outside of that for some reason like you said track athletes are doing something completely different in order to you know a a hundred meter runner on the track doesn't train anything like an 800 meter runner on the track and there's not that much difference between the two yet they're doing completely different things and in swimming we we tend to box everybody in and they're all doing very similar things there's very little differentiation i think just in terms of um, what we're doing in the pool we can really look beyond just the general laps that we're, we're looking at. So I think talking to people like you and, and getting new information and trying new things, I think is only going to help progress our sport. So, um, mate, I really appreciate your time today. I know you're super busy. You got uh, plenty of clients to work with and um, love listening to your podcast, mate. So uh, keep it up, all right? I
1: appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot for having me on and um, I've been really enjoying the episodes lately and uh, look forward to hearing plenty more of them. But definitely this is a conversation that um, hopefully you can get a few more people on to chat about the same thing and start to get a, um, a, bit, of co- a bit of a collective opinion on what other mm. people think as well and, um, and more and more people can hear it and, and maybe you know, get the courage to start trying to make a few changes and see how much of a difference it can make and who knows what the results will be.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right.
1: Thanks, mate. Thanks, I'm
0: Bye.